Welcome everyone to Stepping Into Your Leadership. I'm your host, Christine Courtney. Our goal here is to give you some actionable takeaways that will help you lead your teams. Thanks for joining us on this leadership journey. Let's get started. Hello, fellow leaders, Christine Courtney here. And today in the studio, we have back by popular demand, Tom Armstrong. Welcome, Tom. Hi, everybody. Hey, thanks, Christine. As a gentle reminder, if you have not listened to Tom before, he is full of wisdom around the topic that we're tackling today, which we're tackling head-on difficult conversations and make them a little less difficult. And if you want to know more about this, you want to get a lot of the background on a lot of this, listen to episodes five and six on navigating feedback and difficult conversations, because that's also with Tom. And we talk about, in general, giving feedback and giving ongoing feedback so that hopefully you have to have less difficult conversations because you're having more frequent ones that before it gets to a point of difficulty, or if you have to have difficult conversations, you've established a relationship and a way of talking with each other on things that are less high stakes. But today I'm going to really challenge him. I have a list, Tom. I came with a list. Uh Um, I came with a list that he has not seen of some scenarios, some scenarios that I've gotten from some of our listeners and some other folks in the field of their most difficult conversations that they've had to have or should have had or, you know, still need to have. And so we're going to really dive into the difficult ones. If you listen to this and go, oh my gosh, my levels are much lower than this. I just need to have feedback. Go back to episodes five and six to get that. Today, we're going hardcore here on some difficulty. So you ready, Tom? I'm ready. Okay. I'm excited. So first of all, any notes in general on having a difficult conversation before we jump into scenarios? Any like overall general tips on difficult conversations before scenarios? Well, as you said, yeah, it's, it's actually a really fun topic. I, I don't know. For fun me, for you. Fun for me. <laughs> Mostly it's not fun. <laughs> I, yeah. It's fun because it's hard, I guess. I Just yesterday I was giving someone some thoughts as they were feeling pretty upset about something that their direct report was doing. It was the behavior, but it was also what the perceived motivation was behind the behavior, I think. So first of all, I really just listened. I tried not to offer advice, but I knew that I had to give this advice because I think in that moment, she just wanted someone to like, she needed to be able to dump. And I'm like, dump on me. It's ideal is that you're, you know, have, have so much, shed your frustration with your boss, not your colleagues, not your direct reports, but get, get the emotions out here. Right. So that was really good. And I, I told the person, I'm like, I'm, I'm really happy that you're sharing this with me. It makes me feel like that you trust me and stuff, you know, with this, that that you're able to just go like, when you need to. But my guidance to her was, I know you want to get this off your chest with the person. Do not like wait until you're at equilibrium so that you know, you won't regret anything that you say. Because so much of what we are going to say, we believe to be true. And we might later after reconsidering going, go, oh, I, maybe that wasn't right. And then the other thing is I didn't go through the wheel or anything like that with her. I was just like, first, just to make sure that this, that you even time it right is don't bring up anything that has to do with an assumption about their motivations. Cause you're probably wrong. We can't really guess that accurately. And even if you're right, it doesn't help with your, what you want to do is, is have the behavior change. And if you're talking about motivations, you're giving someone a real opportunity to just focus on the fact that you got that wrong. Right. And now you're not even talking about the behavior. So it works to your disadvantage to talk about motivations rather than behaviors. So those were a couple of things that are fresh for mind for me that I end up saying a lot to folks before they have any kind of a difficult conversation is make sure you're in a real like calm state that you've done your pre-work 
like we've talked about in the previous podcast. And then in this case too, it was uh, really manage your assumptions and only talk about what you know to be true. Yeah, it's a good point. You brought up a word. I just want to make sure that new listeners understand what you mentioned. You said the wheel. When Tom was talking about the wheel, he meant the the difficult <laughs> not not the torture device from the <laughs> no. Let's be clear, we're not sixteen hundreds or whatever. <laughs> It's a difficult conversations wheel that we have available for free on our website. If you're interested at tlpnyc.com and you can get that difficult conversations wheel and it takes you through the process of preparation for the difficult conversation so that it is not so much a torture exercise, right? That's the whole point is that you're going through this. So anyway, he will have that available. But if we're talking about the wheel, that's what we're talking about. I love what you you said about equilibrium, getting to equilibrium. And the second thing was, because sometimes people think, you also said calm, but sometimes we think we have to be so calm, but maybe you just have to be at like an equilibrium state, which I thought was interesting that you mentioned. And second was prepare, you know, check your assumptions. And that's part of that difficult conversations wheel. If you, people often, don't prepare for these conversations and we feel good. We have a little feeling of like righteousness when we're angry or when our emotions are heightened. And so we want to speak. We want to get that off of our chest a lot of times. And so we go into a conversation with that wrong devil on our shoulder saying, no, I need to tell them how I feel. And that is not a state of equilibrium. And that's where I think you're mentioning, we got to check ourselves because all of these conversations that we're mentioning today are going to be made thousand times worse by that kind of emotion right? Mm-hmm. Now that emotion is powerful because if you feel it, that is motivating you to have this conversation, but it should not motivate you to have the conversation in the moment, right? Yeah. Write down your feelings, journal about it, walk around, talk to a partner that you trust, whatever it is, but just practice the conversation, but do not have it in that moment. It's almost like the corporate version of a drunk dial, right? You don't want to have is. that conversation. Then. So do prepare for the difficult it conversations. Yeah. Wheel. You are, you are a little bit insane or drunk or whatever from the, from the chemicals that are in the system. Yeah. That's right. Lots of chemicals, natural or not. You want to be chemical free going into these conversations. <laughs> All right. So anything, I think those are three good things. Check your assumptions and don't don't mention them. Don't guess their assumptions in the meeting. Uh, prepare and get to a state of equilibrium. If you can start with those three things as the basis for going into these difficult conversations, I think it's good. Can I give you a fourth one? Yeah, a four, please. One of the main things I do is before I have one, I'll definitely talk to someone and say, I have, with my boss, usually I go to Yindi and I'll say, I have this difficult conversation. Can I talk it through with you? And can you pretend to be the other person sometime and then get feedback? Can I practice a little bit or something? Yeah, it's a role play. And then she usually finds some stuff where I'm like, oh my God, I'm so glad I talked to her first because I was about to say that thing and it was clearly going to, you know, trick me up, trip me up. So yeah, practicing and talking it through with somebody ahead of time can be helpful for sure. Very. Um, and if you don't have a boss where you can do that with, or if the difficult conversation is with your boss, then choose some a friend you trust or a partner in your life, not in the office, preferably not sharing these things, uh, personal information with other people that are in your office, unless it's someone that, like your boss or someone that you highly trust. Okay. That's great. So once you've done all of that preparation, which that's like a higher level preparation is that that kind of role play, but it makes a big difference. Once you do that, the other thing that helps you do, by the way, that role play is it helps you get to the point faster. 
and it makes these conversations take less time, which is less torture for people. So as difficult as this conversation is for you to have, it's more difficult for them to hear because they're not ready for it most of the time. And so if that's the case, then you want to shorten that amount of difficulty for them by having that conversation take less time from your end. Maybe it needs to take more time for them processing, but it shouldn't take that you're beating around the bush. And if you practice it with someone else, one of the good things about that is that the second time you say it, you gen- we generally tend to get more to the point. Okay. So any other tips for difficult conversations in general before we go on? I think those are kind of broad strokes. If you look at the wheel, you'll find more detail. There's 10 points on it, which I don't think we need to go through all 10 right now, but they, they or unless you want to, but they do uh, kind of like go into the deeper elements of those categories, I would say, in terms of doing your pre-work. Yeah. And they're really good questions. Sometimes people look at the, like I did the first time, I was like, oh my God, this is exhausting. I don't want to go through this whole step process, right? Ten. I think it's like 10 things. It can feel like a lot, but that's the whole point. It's like, if you go through this, that's part of going through it. Like you can't go around it. You can't go under it. You can't go over it. You got to go through it. And one of those is doing your homework in the preparation. And that takes away a lot of the sting because once you've thought about this to that degree, you're ready to have this conversation. You're actually happy a little bit to be having it and to having done it. You know, most people really, when we ask them beforehand, do they want to have this conversation? No, we avoid it forever. But then after we've had it almost, I would say 99% of the time, people are glad they had the conversation because at the end of the day, it's an opportunity to deepen your relationship. And one of the things we're trying to do all the time, whether it's at work in our personal lives, and these difficult conversations can also be happening and most likely are happening in your personal life. It's an opportunity to either cut things off or deepen that connection and deepen that relationship. And if you firmly believe that there's, there's hope there, right? There's opportunity. So, all right. You ready, Tom? Bring it. What's maybe the most difficult conversation that you've ever had to have at work or what's one of them? Uh, Yeah, they're (laughs) uncomfortable. Okay. So an example of a really hard one, and I still don't have the exact like advice for it is, especially if it's like centered around hygiene, Mm. it's very uncomfortable to hear, I would assume, and very uncomfortable to express. It takes a very, very sensitive, you know, approach and definitely pre-work. Like in that case, I would go to HR first and kind of say, I, this is a conversation that I'd like to have. Is it appropriate? Can I have that conversation? You know, and then kind of talking with them about some ideas for how to approach it. You know, you want to be in compliant. You don't want to do something that could put you at risk by saying the wrong thing. And so some of those difficult conversations that teeter on the boundaries, because some of them are clear, like, oh, that's totally just a difficult conversation I have. But this one in particular is so nuanced. And I think it's important to think about who's having that conversation with that person. It could be inappropriate for me to have it, but more appropriate for someone else to, to, to be the person to lead that conversation, depending on the scenario. So that one to me feels very nuanced. And when it, and it's very rare. You jumped into the deep end right away. So you asked me, I, I had I have hygiene questions on my list, but I was going to warm you up to those. All right. You said, "What's the deep end? <laughs> <laughs> What's the hardest?" So let me give some examples for people who are like, "What do you mean hygiene?" So I'm going to give you some examples of of ones that are absolutely true that either I've had to have with somebody or people that I've spoken to in getting this list prepared today had to have. And then Tom, you can tell me, I've had ones where people have smelled like booze and they were not drunk. I could tell that they were not drunk, but it was booze from the night before, right? Mm -hmm. So that was one difficult 
part when it's it comes com- to it's that. It's coming out of the pores kind of thing. Like you, Yeah, you know. it's still coming out of you, right? You're still in that stage. I had to have somebody that I spoke to, I have not had to have this conversation, but somebody did who was in HR, that the person had very, very strong body odor mm-hmm. and that they were getting lots of complaints. Nobody yeah. wanted to work with them. No one wanted to sit in the cubicles next to them. I had another person, imagine this, uh, who when I was asking questions for this episode of the podcast said that the person, she had someone who smelled like urine. So yeah. So this was a long-term employee who was going through some hard times, but probably was older, needed some adult diapers, needed some help. So that was one that she got a lot of complaints about. Oof, that's hard. Sometimes it's related to in the same kind of vein, like the food you heat up in the office is smelly and it's, you know, you're taking your fish and you're heating, putting it in the microwave and, you know, the whole office smells like fish for the next hour or so. And Okay, we're back in back in the uh, shallow end of the pool here. I, I, that, one, that one's a little easier to deal with. <laughs> that one's easier. But the, the, <laughs> certainly the, the, um, the other ones. The booze one is a little easier. Yeah. The one that has to do with something that's, like the further away outside of the person's control is the conversation might not be with that person, but with the person that's. So if someone's coming in and due to a medical condition, they're not creating the issue in the office. There, there's an, there's an issue. There is an issue in the office related to people complaining about the, the smell and the odor of somebody and it's related to a medical condition that person can't control in the office, then the difficult converse, who is the recipient of the difficult conversation? I, that's a, I mean, well, I'll tell you in this case, environmental factor. I mean, that's, that's a really hard one. Well, in this case, she did exactly what you said. In some of these cases, they're a little tricky. Your best bet is to go to HR because these people are trained in this stuff all the time. And if they haven't, this is a great opportunity for them to learn. Right. So I used to be in HR years ago and trust me, we would get stuff like this every so often. I work for a big corporate firm. And so basically what this is, what this is how the person handled it. So that they were smelling like urine, they were getting complaints. HR was getting complaints. So she had to have this conversation. So she sat her down. This is a long term employee, very good, right? They don't want to lose her, but everybody's, you know, they're getting multiple complaints. And so she had to sit her down and say, Hey, listen, I've been getting some complaints. This is a sensitive topic but that you have an, a, a smell around you sometimes of urine. And I just want to say that I understand that there could be a medical condition that you have, or you may need some help. You may need some resources. And so we're going to have, we're going to do two things if you're up for it. One is we're going to provide supplies for this, like we would in the women's restroom on, you know, sanitary napkins and so forth. We're going to provide some supplies for you for this because we understand this, that uh, these types of things are expensive, right? And I'm talking right now about like adult diapers. And we're also going to supply you with some referral for a medical professional that can help with this thing. Now, it was very uncomfortable for her to have this conversation. I will tell you that it was very uncomfortable for the person to hear, but ultimately she cried, right? We have to be ready for tears in some of these conversations, but she was very thankful for her Mm -hmm. and she was obviously embarrassed, but she was thankful and she took her up on both things. And at the end of the day, she came back to her later and said, after she had a doctor and she had these methods for doing it because she lived alone. She didn't have this feedback coming to her any other part of her life. She was very grateful. And so it deepened that trust and that relationship, but that's hard. You know, that's a hard one. 
I think a key thing that you're describing in there is also goes into, you know, like, where's this realm between feedback and the difficult conversation? Because difficult conversation can mean so many things. In this case, it's leaning kind of towards feedback. You know, you're trying to actually, this is about changing something in the environment of the office, at least related to that person. And it was a very collaborative conversation. It was like, here's the situation. And I want to like collaborate with you on figuring out how do we resolve, you know, how, what, what, what's possible because we want to be as supportive as possible. Yeah, but it wasn't really collaborative in the sense that she had two things ready to go. And what's yeah. the woman going to say? No, it just has to feel like it's somewhat, you have to have something ready. Sure. You can't be like, yeah. what are we going to do about this? Let's brainstorm. I mean, that would be <laughs> torture. <laughs> The booze one is a little bit easier. Booze one's a lot easier. When you see that, you can say, you're smelling like booze. (laughs) Either you had a really fun night last night or are you drunk now? Mm -hmm. And as soon as they say they're not drunk Mm -hmm. now, let's hope that's the answer. Then you say, okay, let me tell you why this is unprofessional in terms of how this comes across. Because it seems like people are questioning now whether you're drinking on the job. And so you may not realize it, but this is you have to figure out how your body metabolizes alcohol. And I'm not going to tell you what to do in your personal life, but when you come into the office, you've got to have a way that you're not smelling like you could be under the influence. Yeah. And I think with the booze, the BO, the food is smelly. Those ones are also ones where I would tend to lead with a we comment, you know, really just about like organizationally, we can't, you know, we just can't have, Mm. people can't come to the office smelling like alcohol. These are the reasons I do smell alcohol on you right now. And then, yeah, are you currently intoxicated? You know, like you just said, but I would also start and lead with that, uh, like the we thing so that it doesn't feel so much about like I'm isolating them, but it's, it's like, this is the reason why, I mean, it's a comprehensive thing. Yeah. The other way, Tom, that that conversation can go, and I've had this also, is that you ask the person like, hey, you smell like alcohol. Have you been drinking? And a lot of times if the person has been, then you have to get them out of that situation that they're in pretty quickly, move them to a private space, and then bring in someone from, hopefully from HR if you have somebody, but they'll be ready with like, here, listen, this is, it's unprofessional to come to work this way. You can't perform your job at the quality that we need it. It puts all the rest of us in an uncomfortable situation. And we understand that this might be a disease for you. And here's some ways that we're going to need you to get help. And here's the ways we can offer it. Yeah. Right. And your HR department will know all of those. They have lots of referrals that they can give. And sometimes you can mandate it. And that completely depends on your organization. But both of those situations have come up at varying levels. And to your point earlier, Tom, with these types of things, you always want to get HR involved because they're going to protect you. They're also HR is involved with legal. And so you don't have to go to a lawyer yourself. You don't have to go to the legal department. HR will do that for you. If you don't have an HR department and or you're the HR department, some of these situations, you definitely want to get your general counsel. You want to get your consultant lawyer on board. I'll call sometimes I'll call people on those situations if I have them. You know, frequently when I'm giving also difficult like feedback or having a difficult conversation like this, also I'll lead with, you know, the reason I'm speaking to you about this because we really believe in you. You know, like there's these comments that are true, like it has to be genuine, but there's these comments that I remind myself to also say out loud so that the other person is, it kind of softens things a little bit. Like it, it's not, yeah. it's not a compliment sandwich, you know, but I am, I am leading with something that's like, we really believe in you. We love your work. We, you know, we want to be able to resolve this and we have resources for you as well. 
Tom is not a fan of the compliment sandwich. I know. If you guys coming up. Uh, out there are keeping track. Tom, do you want to, since you uh, dropped that whimsical statement, do you want to just give people an example of a compliment sandwich? Uh, you're doing a great job. Your salmon is stinking up the kitchen, uh, but I love your work. <laughs> so it's what's ideal to avoid the compliment sandwich. Some people like to get compliment sandwiches. It, I don't know that this is the case, but it's often a symptom of that they're just not getting enough affirming feedback generally. So if they're getting that, if they are hearing not just sincere and specific praise, but the, you know, hey, I see you doing this thing. When you do that, it's great for these reasons or whatever. Then you don't have to deliver the hard stuff for the more challenging corrective stuff by sandwiching it between compliments because they're already getting that. They already feel seen. So now they're also getting the corrective feedback and they don't say, well, you only point out the things that I do wrong. You never say the things that are right. People like compliment sandwich when they're not generally getting the affirming stuff enough. So it's like you have to have, that's more pre-work. That's part of the discipline and practice of managing is remembering to tell your reports the affirming stuff. Yeah, boy, am I very thankful to the old Christine when I have to go into a difficult conversation and I've had some really positive conversations with this employee yeah. in the past. I'm like, thank you, self, because I did the, I put an investment in to build trust in order for this conversation today to take place. All right, so we've gotten the hygiene questions out right away. So Oof, let's go into relax. some other ones here. So one of the ones that comes up probably most often in the group, we work with a lot of different companies and a lot of different, you know, cohorts of management teams and so forth. And one of the ones that comes up a lot, especially with new, younger folks entering the workplace is how do I ask for a raise? You know, how do I have that? To many people, that feels like a difficult conversation. So when we talk about asking for a raise, what would be an example of how you would coach people on that difficult conversation? The difficult conversation being, I want to ask for a raise. Yeah. So- Front of mine are the things that you don't do because I'm surprised how often they happen. Like the worst example that I had was someone said, uh, so what's with raises this year? <laughs> it's kind of like in a room, just spontaneous. So what's up with raises this year? I'm like, oh, just Google. How do you, okay, so that's one thing. You can use your search engine and type in how to ask for a raise and do a little research is tip number one. Because I am surprised quite often by the way people ask. I do think it's important to have some decorum, you know, and a level of professionalism in the way that you ask and prepare for the way that you ask. This is something where the difficult conversation wheel doesn't really help you, but it is good to do some of that pre-work still. If, if you know, generally, if you could do some research in terms of uh, glass door, something like that where you could find out what salaries are generally for your position, it's helpful, but primarily focus on your results. So either an email in advance or going up to the person in advance and saying, Hey, is there a, a time that we can sit down and talk about? an increase in, in my, you know, I'd like to talk to you about the potential for a raise. Is there a good time that I can have that conversation so that they also know that it's happening? An email is totally appropriate for that, I think. I don't know for you, Christine, what you think, but this is personal for me. I, I don't mind getting the email on that, but I, I do like it if someone sort of asks ahead of time and then we set up a time and we sit down and talk and it's a little more formal. Because you're prepared. Yeah. And yeah. I know that I need to have a process in place for this. And I tell them ahead of time too, like there is a process to make sure that things are done fairly, you know, obviously. So we just need to make sure that we observe the process, but definitely happy to sit down and talk. So I can see why someone would call it a difficult conversation, but it didn't even occur to me that this would be in the category. I know, Tom, because you are in your 50s. <laughs> you, have to, you have to imagine yourself as a different person. A lot of people find this, and they're saying that younger and younger people find this even more difficult to the point where they will leave a job rather than, rather ask. than ask for what they want. Yeah. And so I really, you know, I think it's really important as we're 
this is, I'm talking Gen Z, not millennials here, but like that you, they're feeling like they should be given this or they will go somewhere and go to another job because that has been easy for them relative to you and I, when we were looking for work back when it was, you stayed in a job longer, right? So you had to work up these muscles of asking for a raise or, or talking about money in this kind of way that is different for this generation. Yeah. Or the other option is they're also a generation of much more advocates than we were. And so sometimes they'll skip you, who's their sure. boss, and they'll go to their boss's boss's no. boss and they'll write the CEO for a raise. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that that's the reality. So really, we're just talking about how do you have this conversation and how do you get ready for the difficulty of hearing that you may not be ready for this raise mm-hmm. yet and understanding that. And so the difficult conversation then shifts to us as the boss to now have a conversation with them sensitive to the fact that they are young and don't know that they're what they don't know yet. Yeah. I think being, you know, as the boss being prepared with the actual like path, like if they're not eligible for a raise at this point, based on job performance or whatever the criteria is expressing what they would need to be able to do to get there, what the path is, I think is where you create the the feeling of hope. The the more obscure that is, the harder. And so it, the times when I will talk, usually it's our part-time employees will approach me on this and I'll look through the, um, you know, basically make an assessment and then go through our process for this. Cause it's not just something I can't just make a decision willy nilly on my own. But if the answer is no, I tell them it's also a good time for feedback in that moment to say, these are the reasons why not. And let's talk again in, in three months and just see if the performance indicators have changed in that way. And then quite often they do, you know, you'll start to see like if they've been showing up late, just calling out a lot, whatever the thing is, the benchmark, they haven't been achieving certain results. That can be a real motivator to have them actually achieve them, especially if they know, like, let's see what happens given this amount of time. So it's complicated because it goes both ways. Like the difficult conversation is a lot more difficult if you don't have the results to share quantifiable results that you can say, these are the things that I've been accomplishing on time, on budget, at quality. Like if you can come and say that and express that, it makes it a lot harder for your boss to be able to say like, no, versus if it's more like, I feel like I've been doing a good job. So I feel like I deserve a raise, you know? So yeah, I would say if you're, if you're asking for an increase in your pay, it's good to show up again, show some regard for process, have some formality. It doesn't have to be extreme, but a little, but show some respect in the way that you approach it, that you take it seriously. And then, uh, and that might just be my generation as you're saying, but for me, I do not like it if it's sort of very sloppily approached, like just way too casual. Sure. And then coming in with quantifiable uh, results that are showing why your value is that, and then asking, and if not, how can I get there? And also, yeah, making your performance even higher than what you're seeking can be good. Like you have to be doing the work. Yes, you have to be doing the work. You have to be like, be great at the job you have now, <laughs> start to star in the job you have now yeah. and then ask for the job you want. But if you're, if you're a star player, you're more likely to get something else. And I think that transparency needs, you know, a note for those of us who are in positions of power, you know, to really kind of unveil what we know as what it takes to get to the next step, but they may not and have a lot more transparency. And a lot of organizations we work with are now putting out like, these are the different levels and this is what you have to do to get to these next levels. And employees of all generations are finding that really, really helpful and actually mitigating a lot of these difficult conversations because you can point them back to the the matrix that shows you this is what you are at, at a junior, this is what you are at a supervisor, this what and at each level, if you've done these things or had this experience, it makes those conversations actually not difficult at all. It actually makes them enlightening and exciting. Yeah. Tatiana, you had something to say. Yeah, I just wanted to give some advice to someone who wants to do exactly that. And I think 
you know, as the employee asking for the raise, I think you, you do have to do some prep work, just kind of like what you were saying and, and go back to the beginning of knowing kind of where it is that you want to go. And then having that conversation with your manager of like, I want to get to this place. How do I do that? And I think being prepared for what that entails, because I think when people ask, and it's kind of feels like it's coming out of nowhere. It's just kind of like, well, like you were saying, you're not really ready for this, you know, because I think mm-hmm. what happens is like, it's different. It's one thing to ask for more money, but it's another thing to say, I want a promotion. Right. And I think that's where the two things are. Like, if you're just asking for more money, because you know that you could get more money somewhere else, you know, the, the chances are people should be ready to leave if their job can't offer that. Right. Like if, if the starting salary is different, and you're like, I'm going to leave. But if you're like, I want to get promoted, which comes with a promotional raise, which is, you know, considerably more money, you should start at the beginning and say, what does it take to get to that position? And where am I now in this wheel or in this line? Because if the company isn't necessarily outlining that, like you mentioned, some companies are doing, but you're like, I want to get this. Or in the case of someone, it doesn't exist. The job doesn't exist. And you say to your your boss's boss, this is where I want to go. This is what I envision for myself. What do you think? And, and then you work towards that. Yeah. Tatiana, I lo- I, this, this actually is probably for me. I mean, again, it's subject. Everybody's gonna be a little different for me. I do love the conversation. Hey, this is where I want to be. Can you help me understand how to get there? And, you know, it, it, rather than I, this is what I need now. This is what I would like to, to get to. What's the path? Cause that's a great, that's a fun, it's a great conversation to have. Yeah. Cause I think when you're asking, you're like, I just need more money. You're you're definitely coming from a place of frustration. That is when the preparation for the conversation is helpful. But if you're just like, I know I could get more money somewhere else and you're coming from a frustrated place, that's probably showing up in your work too. And so it's kind of like, oh, you're not doing as much or you're quite quitting or whatever the case might be in terms of a level of frustration where you're like, I want more money and I don't feel valued. That might be showing up in your work too. Sometimes you have these, these, these like incredible em- employees but the, there's budget constraints and you can't cross certain budget constraints because you that's just the reality of the situation too. So having that conversation is also interesting. But having the conversation, have the conversation, even if you know the budget is, because then we all know where we're, where we're feeling and we can have an honest conversation about it. Let's change real quick because I want to get another one in. What about you're working with someone, this came up, where pe- someone on your team is taking credit for, like let's say the team is working on something, but one of the people is taking credit for everything. Oh yeah, I actually did give this feedback. You once. did? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it is also important to like stop and do your pre-work and what are my assumptions? Some of it could be how am I personally contributing to this potentially, you know, you have to you have to understand like you might get feedback about your style as a manager that you're setting up a competitive environment that makes people feel they're rewarded for winning as an individual rather mm-hmm. than as a group, like you know, am I, for example, offering a, a that that you know trip to Hawaii for one person, the top sales, per, you know, versus us as a team and what we accomplish can have different results. So there might be elements of my own management style that are leading to that. So doing some pre work in that way and self analysis, that important start of like how might I be contributing to this? But then in the in the sit down with the individual, if you can uh, again like have specific moments. Uh, if there's an email that expresses it or a comment that you heard that you're really talking about specifically and going straight to the impact of what it does to the team. Like, I don't know that you, in, you know, whether or not it's an intention to have it come across this way, this thing that you said here can come off to the team as feeling like you're taking credit for the work that everybody feels that they did. 
and the impact on the team is that it can feel they, they don't feel as connected and they might hesitate in terms of, you know, their future work if they know that they're going to feel that you're taking credit. So the phrase here, and this is why it comes off that way, kind of, you know, really describe it without saying something like you're always taking credit for the team's work. Uh, Cause that's very accusatory. And what we want to say, but we can't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We hold ourselves back and uh, just focusing more on the like specific instances and, and say like, and this is what, I, this is how I'd recommend you saying that, you know, because it's really much more important. Like me in my job as a leader, it's so important that when, even if I do something that the team feels like we all did it, even when I know that I contributed most that the team feels we did it because that's very motivating for people and makes them feel connected to each other. And they want to do the work in the future. If they feel that I'm taking credit, it diminishes that feeling. Yeah. And I think also when you, if it depends who you are to this person, if you notice that somebody on the team is taking all the credit and you're the boss, that's one kind of conversation. If you're a fellow colleague and you feel like they're taking all the credit, that's a different kind of conversation a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Because I think if you're the boss, you can look at with them like, I noticed that you're part of this team and that you're always the one sharing and you're, it almost comes across as if these are all your ideas. I'm sure that's not the case and that you wouldn't want that to be how this comes across and the person can go, Oh no, 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 no. But it's an indicator that maybe you're not appreciating them enough. So they feel like they have to use this to your point with the compliment sandwiches to get their needs met. Um, I think if you're a colleague and there someone's taking all the credit, especially if these are your ideas or this is happening, that is a, a very difficult conversation to have with the person, but yet it's important to have it. It's good to practice those things. I think what Tom said was really good when you talk about impact, whether it's impact of the team or impact on me personally, I always find that it throws people off. It's, this is in, you know, this is, I did not me, but this is, you know, comes back to as far as the, you know, the art of war, you know, that you, you don't go into something acting strong, right? So if you come into something and you say, you know, it hurt my feelings when you did this, or I don't think you probably meant to do this, but I got to tell you how this feels to me. And what will happen is that people can't argue how you feel. Now they may say, well, you shouldn't feel that way. But yeah, it did feel that way. And this is why. And you can give something specific. I think that often, and when people have given me feedback where I've done something that was hurtful to them, whether in my personal life or at work, it really impacted me. It stopped me in my tracks a little bit from my defense mechanism going up and arguing with them in my head. Sometimes, you know, I'm smart enough now to not argue outright. Sometimes I still do, but most of the time I don't argue outright, but I'm still arguing in my head as I try to, my ego tries to defend itself. And some, usually the way that that will disarm me is when someone shares like, you know, an ouch moment, like, Christine, that kind of hurt my feelings a bit, or I'm just really sad about this, or, you know, and you know what? be too emotional about it at work and it needs to be authentic but sometimes it can say like i don't feel that it's right i feel that we contribute all contributed to that and the person will be like yeah but i was just the person as the spokesperson and you could say okay well there's let's talk about ways in the future that we can all be involved or that we can because it's important for all of us and all of our careers and you know i would hate for us to not work as well together as a team because we're handling it this way yeah and i I think your manager even though they might never hear the conversation that the more that that's happening peer to peer the better the the you know it would it's better than the person going to their boss saying can you have this conversation with that person because it's hurting the team they're not making like it's good if you yourself can have an effective conversation with your colleagues and i do love the always the thing about yeah if you're talking about something that they can't really argue about how you feel about the thing which actually leads to another point that i like i find when people are talking to me about conversations they want to have with others common point that i'll make is you don't want to have too many points to make. You don't want to have too many arguments and you don't want to have things that are subjective because 
if you have one key thing that you want to change, but you mentioned three, and one of them is arguable, if they're feeling defensive at all, they're going to go straight to this mm-hmm. arguable one, and the whole conversation is going to be centered around that. So take I just I just think of what are all the things that I want to say. I take away all the weakest things or the things that are maybe subjective, and I just get rid of them. So we can focus on the key thing that's hopefully like really not something we can argue about. Brilliant. My feelings are one of those things. Like that's just how I'm feeling about this. When I read that email, I felt a little bit like left out of the group. Yeah. Or like we were all invested in that project. And for me, it, it feels a little bit, yeah, I'm trying to say what the feeling is. You have to identify it yourself before you Yeah, but you talk. I think what you said is, is great because you're getting it down to one salient point that's not going to take you off into a million tangents, even though you may want to throw the whole kitchen sink at them. Try to get it down to one thing is really great By the way, your advice. salmon is super stinky. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I won't bring my salmon in anymore. Um, (laughs) All right. You guys, thank you so much, Tom. We're going to do more of these because my list is long and we haven't gotten to many, but we'll have more of these. You went straight for the hard stuff, Christine. We went right for the hard stuff. We'll have more um, because we didn't even get to like when people don't have a sense of urgency, when people are yelling. That's what I was was expecting. I I know. I got to manage my assumptions. We'll come back for another part. I think we're now, this will be, this is part three, really. So listen to episodes five and six, this one, and then we'll have a part four because this is an ongoing thing and we'll keep collecting them. If you have good questions or good situations for us, write to us, give us those questions, those difficult scenarios, and we'll come back to them another time. Tom, thank you so much for joining mm-hmm. thank us you, today. And All right. Take care, everybody. <laughs> hey, everybody. Greg Shammy here. As we're closing out today's episode, I've got an awesome opportunity for your new managers and people leaders. Starting May 1st, our transformative eight-week online course called Leadership Learning Lab will kick off. In this course, managers will learn how to build trust and engage their teams, communicate more effectively, and empower themselves and others to achieve success. Imagine if early in your career, you had learned how to master the art of impactful feedback or how to navigate performance conversations with ease, and even how to delegate effectively. This course is an investment in your team to help your company grow and achieve ultimate success. It's an opportunity that will help your people transform their leadership skills in just eight weeks. Spots are limited. Pre-sales open right now. This is a chance to get ahead and secure spots for your team members at a 10% discount. Use the code PRESALE, one word. Click on the link in the show notes for more info. And thank you so much for joining Christine today. I look forward to seeing your team in our Leadership Learning Lab.